0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Thank you so much, Mark and Steve and everyone who's welcomed me here. It's absolutely just delightful to be here with you. I flew into Chicago uh, from Denver last night. Denver is my new home, although... I will say I feel like I'm from Chicago East, so I met my wife uh, in Chicago where I was in college, that's also the place that we first started uh, planting a church. If has anybody heard of the Hyde Park Vineyard Church in Hyde Park in Chicago, that is the church that Kathy and I helped to start and I'm happy to report it's still there doing great uh, in the neighborhood of Hyde Park right there in the city. And then after I was in Hyde Park, uh, Kathy moved to New York to teach and I moved uh, to Connecticut for school and we stayed in the Northeast for really 20 years until the perfect time to move is in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know if any of you guys have any experience with that, but in July of 2020, right in the middle of it all, Kathy and I and our two kids, our lovely kids who you saw, uh, picked up our stakes and moved out to Denver. Kathy's the pastor of East Denver Vineyard Church in the city of Denver. We live in East Denver, not surprisingly, right by all the museums and the parks. If you're ever there, it's a cool neighborhood. And I work, as Mark said, with this job that has the most ridiculous title in the world. (laughs) But uh, essentially what I do is I help our 550 vineyard churches in the U.S. uh, to think well And to pray well and to work well together to be rooted in what does it mean for us to follow Jesus as vineyard people, right? The kinds of discipleship lives that we live are lives where we're going to live for the long haul, right? How many of us know that Jesus wants us for our whole lives? He doesn't just want us for moments, right? He doesn't just want us for highs. He wants us in the lows. He wants us at the peaks and he wants us at the Valley Times as well, right? And so part of the work that I'm trying to do uh, is to help all of our churches in all of those different seasons uh, to serve and love Jesus faithfully. So I'm super, super grateful to be here. I've actually been in your neighborhood before, although never in your church. I've had some good friends at Notre Dame. Are there any Notre Dame people in the room tonight? Okay. Awesome. I've, I've had many, many friends uh, at Notre Dame, a couple of mentors, taught over there, and from time to time I'd come visit. So let me just dive in. Um, When I was asked to speak using the Lord's Prayer as a jumping off point, I have to say I was excited. One of my uh, mentors, a guy called Don Williams, who was one of the Vineyard's sort of first theological voices, he used to say that the key to a great sermon is a great text, right? And texts don't come much better uh, than the Lord's Prayer. But the thing I was wondering was, what part of the Lord's Prayer should I choose as my jumping off point? Obviously, I'm not going to talk about the whole thing. So I was mulling it over and mulling it over and thinking it through. And then it suddenly came to me when I heard that you guys have been fasting. Because you've been fasting, clearly give us this day Our daily bread (laughs) is the place to start. You guys are hungry, and I'm going to meet you right where you are. We're going to talk about eating food, although you could say, on the other hand, what's worse than talking to a room of hungry people about food, (laughs) right? And then I want to do what I know everyone in this room wants to do, which is I want us to encounter Jesus tonight, right? Don't be fooled by the long title and the theology and the education and this and that, right? All that stuff is real and it's important. But what it comes down to at the end of the day is are we encountering God and are we being formed by him, right? Are we encountering the Lord and being formed by him? So my desire is that tonight each one of us would be able to raise our hands to the Lord and say, God, I want you to meet me. I want you to root me in you. I want you to help me to turn. I want you to help me to turn in little places where I need to repent, or maybe some big places where you need to repent. Lord, I want to be responsive to the move of your spirit. So that's where we're going. But let's start uh, today with the the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Let me just read to us uh, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, or the the section that leads into the Lord's Prayer, and I'll stop when we get to... Give us, this daily, give us this day our daily bread. Let's listen to the word of the Lord uh, to his disciples. They said to him, how should we pray? He said this, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand up and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners and at the cool church meetings <laughs> so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've already received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard by God because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. So pray instead like this. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us this day our daily bread how many know that the lord's prayer is jesus's prayer class for his disciples right in luke 11 which is the parallel to matthew 6 where that i just read from it starts with the disciples literally saying to him would you teach us how to pray We don't know how to do it. And what's interesting about that, I think, is that that tells you that they have a lot of stuff they're comparing it to, right? When Jesus says to them, I'll teach you how to pray, but he starts off with don't do this and don't do that, you can see the disciples, they're trying to sift. They're trying to discern what's the kind of prayer that God wants to hear, right? One kind of prayer Jesus tells us God does not want to hear is prayer that's done to be seen by other people, right, the kind of prayer of performance, the prayer where we're demonstrating our own righteousness because we want to look good, look like a good Christian or a fervent person, right? Uh, To put it in the context of our times, we don't want to be like hopping up and down on stages just so that people will think that we're really, really in love with God, right? Don't pray to be seen, Jesus says. And don't babble on with lots and lots of words when you pray, thinking that God will hear you louder because of your striving, because of your intensity, because you're contending for revival so loud that now your Father in heaven is finally going to hear you. That's not what he says, right? That's not what he tells us to do. Instead, he says, go to a private place, go to a quiet place, close the door, either go into a room. Some people who read this text think that he means, go into an interior room, like a place in your heart, right? Quiet yourself, and when you quiet yourself, speak to God, your father, as if he is actually your father. Now, I have a seven-year-old daughter, and one day if she hears this, what I would want her to know is that fathers are often one or two steps ahead of their children, Fathers are often one or two moves in front of them. And Jesus tells us that's the same way that God our Father is with us, amen? He hears what we're gonna say before it even comes out of our mouths. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. He wants us to pray as if he loves us and be in conversation with him as if he loves us. Do you know why? Because he really, really does. He's not impressed by our striving. He's not impressed by our performance. He's impressed by our honesty, our authenticity, our straightforwardness. When we come to him and we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? It means turn and face God your Father who is so close to you, our Father in heaven. Praise him in his infinite goodness and pledge allegiance to his holiness above all other allegiances, just like we were singing tonight. Wasn't the worship so wonderful tonight? Thank you guys so much. We were singing songs of allegiance to the living God. Hallowed be your name. And he calls us to remember that his kingdom already is in heaven. And he also calls us to pray for the coming of his kingdom, the complete doing of his will which has not yet happened on earth but we know will one day happen completely the prayer that the Lord teaches us to pray is a prayer of the already and the not yet it's a prayer of the kingdom that has come in heaven and it's a prayer of the kingdom that will come on earth as in heaven are you tracking with me Excellent. Okay. And it's in that context, the context between the already and the not yet, that Jesus says, the very next thing that he says, the very first thing that he tells them after he sets up this whole thing, God your Father has located you between these two kingdoms, the already and the not yet, the very next thing he says to his disciples that they are to pray for is, give us this day our daily bread. Now, why does Jesus tell his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Why does Jesus speak to a room as diverse in age, in vocation, in identity as this room and say to each one of us, pray, give me this day my daily bread? Why does he say that to us? Well, the first thing I would want to say is that the prayer for daily bread echoes a couple of really important things that Jesus wants us to have in our minds, a couple of real did you guys see that? <laughs> that? was kind of amazing. I think I just cast a demon out. Um, it's just my shadow, I guess. Um, <laughs> Jesus wants us to know that he wants us to have in mind, as we're talking about daily bread, a couple things from the Hebrew scripture that are part of the learned identity of the people of God. How many of us know that the people of God's identity is not just given, but it's also learned? What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is the fact that, do you remember in the song where it says, I'm not gonna trust my feelings? Part of what that means is sometimes we're gonna feel differently from the ways that God has shown us our reality, right? And that means we have to learn and train our minds and our hearts to say yes to the realities that God has given to us, even when we don't feel it, right? Even when it's not the first thing that comes to our minds. So when Jesus says, give us this day, our daily bread, part of what he's actually saying to them is remember how in the Bible it talks about daily bread and other places. He wants them to know that they have an identity of simplicity and an identity of dependence. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 to 9 says this. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my Daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The Hebrew scriptures, the scriptures that the disciples would have already known, they would have heard taught, talk about daily bread as representing the simple provision of God for simple lives of faithfulness, right? Daily bread is not an image of having a bread factory. Daily bread is not an image of having storehouses filled with bread. In fact, in the other place where daily bread shows up really obviously, it's in the story of God giving manna to the children of Israel in the wilderness. How many of us remember that story, right? That's a story in which God shows his people what it means to be dependent on him, right? In Exodus 16, God has led the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, and they're walking into their destiny, but they're walking into it grumbling. In fact, they're walking into it with an awareness that, man, yeah, we remember we were enslaved in Egypt, but at least we had meat. (laughs) Do you guys remember that text? It was terrible to be enslaved, wasn't it? But man, at least we had decent food. This is how people actually are, by the way. Let us never make fun of the people who seem dumbest in the Bible, (laughs) okay? Because the people who seem dumbest in the Bible are there for a reason, and that reason is, we are the dumbest, okay? (laughs) Just be honest, there are times at which you in your life have said, ah, I know that I wasn't in the best place when I was there, but at least I felt like I had enough money in the bank. Now I've given so much to the Lord. I've handed over the keys to the car of my life. And the place that I've landed is a place where I'm not sure that God's actually going to come through for me on a given day. Has anyone ever taken a risk for God and then held your breath to see if God's actually going to come through for you? Some of you guys know what I mean. There's some people in the room tonight that I think the Lord wants to minister to who have sowed an awful lot in tears and are waiting to reap with joy. We'll come back to that in a minute. But if that's you, you probably know who you are. Manna in the wilderness is a story in which God says, listen, children, people who I love, people who I'm leading, I'm gonna give you enough food for the day. When you wake up, it'll be there for you. You gather it up, you eat it throughout the day, and then at night, you leave it. And tomorrow, I'll do it again. What do you have to do? You have to go to sleep trusting That when you lay your head on the pillow, the following morning the Lord will provide for you again. The story of God giving manna to the people of Israel in the wilderness is a story of radical dependence and a story of God's rhythms of faithfulness, right? There's a New Testament scholar called N.T. Wright, which by the way is a hilarious name for a Bible scholar. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that. His name is N.T., like New Testament, Wright, Like, wow, let's not question that guy. But N.T. Wright, he says this, manna, daily bread, is actually the promise of the coming kingdom. Let me read it to you. It's a little quote from Tom Wright. He says, manna wasn't needed in Egypt. In Egypt, they had all the meat, remember. Nor was manna going to be needed in the promised land, the place that they're going. Instead, manna is the food of inaugurated eschatology, which is a fancy word for the kingdom that's already and not yet. It's food that is needed because the kingdom has already broken in and because it hasn't yet come all the way. The daily provision of manna signals that Exodus has begun, but also that we're not yet living in the land. How many of us know that God has set us free? How many of us know that God is also still setting us free? How many of us know that we are not where we used to be Thank goodness, but how many of us know that we're not yet where we're gonna be? And that is the reality in which we need to learn how to say, Give us this day our daily bread and become the kinds of people who can receive it. Amen? When Jesus tells his disciples to pray, when he tells us to pray, Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's rooting our prayer lives in the reality that we live in the time between the times and that God is the one we have to learn to depend on. Give us this day our daily bread or else we're dead. You know, it's like funny because it's true, right? We can't live on yesterday's blessing and we can't live on tomorrow's energetic hopes. We have to become the kinds of people who can receive the daily bread that the Lord wants to give us. Now, I'm guessing... You guys can tell me. I'm guessing that very, very few of us got into life with Jesus or even got into ministry. I know many of you are in ministry of various sorts. I'm guessing very few of us got into that because we were so thrilled about living lives of radical dependence, (laughs) right? I know I didn't. I got into ministry because I was so excited about the fact that God was alive and God was on the move, right? God saved me from a lot of mess. And when he did, I was so overjoyed by the fact that his presence was real and he was actually leading me. But none of that prepared me for the thought that in a life, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, I was gonna have to learn to accommodate my preferences, my spirituality, my rhythms, to the simple, gentle rhythms of God's grace. Do we have any 20-somethings in the room? Come on, you guys were so loud before. Do the thing again. Do the thing again. <laughs> okay, there you are. I knew you were there somewhere. Uh, in, in my late teens and early 20s, it was the 90s, the greatest of all decades. and <laughs> And... And in the 90s, there were ways that the Spirit of God was moving in the world that were profound and compelling. I would love to tell you my whole story. I don't have time to do it. But I would say this. There was a time in my life when I was, uh, I suppose, 16 years old, maybe 17, where I walked into a little Christian fellowship on the campus where I was studying. And I only went there because my parents made me promise that I would go. And I did not want to go because I didn't like the kinds of people who were in those kinds of places. Um, I was not following Jesus. But I walked into that room. And if there was a movie of, the, of my life, which there never will be. But if, if there was like a Rudy-style documentary of, this is a good state for Rudy, right? It, uh, a Rudy-style documentary of, of my life, it would be like this. I walk into the back of that room. And what I hear in the front is music. And I walk from the back of the room to the front of the room. And by the time I get to the front of the room, I'm crying. And I don't know why. I now know I'm crying because the Spirit of the living God was taking hold of my heart. How many of us have had that experience? Exactly. All you 20 somethings are like, that's why I'm here, fool. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Remember the moments. Remember the moments here. And I went and I found the guy who led that little fellowship. And I said, I don't know what that is, but I want to do more of that. Do you guys go to church? And he said, we do. And he put me in a van every Sunday morning, and I drove down to church. And after about 12 weeks, I realized every time they sing, I cry. Every time they teach the Bible, I lean in and I listen. Every time they pray, I go for prayer and I cry some more. And 12 times over, rinse and repeat, I realized I have a hook in my jaw, I realize there is a living God who has taken hold of my life, who knows my name, who's calling me in a way that is going to change everything. Do we know what I'm talking about? That is how I felt in my Late teens and my early 20s. I then moved from where I was living in Connecticut going to school. I did a gap year in Toronto and I was connected to the Toronto Blessing up there. Saw some incredible, powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then I moved to Chicago. When I left Toronto, someone slipped a little prophetic word into my hand. And he said to me, weigh this. He said, I've prayed about this for three days, which for a charismatic is like chiseling it in a stone tablet, right? (laughs) He said, I've prayed about this for three days. I think when you go to Chicago, it may well be your first church planting experience. So don't get too connected to campus ministries because I think God has a church ministry for you. So I wrote it down back when we had pens and paper. And I wrote... It down on the back of a song sheet, which I folded up and I put it in my wallet back when we had actual wallets, and I carried it around with me. I started going to a small group from the Evanston Vineyard, which was meeting in Hyde Park, and after 12 months, a man named Rand Tucker showed up to that group and said, I think God has called me to plant a church in this neighborhood. Would anybody like to be on my team? And I said, I have this prophetic word from this charismatic, I'm in. And so began what has been my life of essentially left foot ministry, right foot academics. And that's a conversation for another time. I'd be more than happy to talk to any of the academics here who are wondering how to do that or what that might mean for them. The reason I'm telling you that story is that it felt like God was as close as the breath in my lungs. It felt like... I was invincible, it felt like I could drive 100 miles an hour down the highway and there was no way that I was gonna die because my life was too important. Not because I was prideful, but because God was with me. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? There was a sense in which God loved me and had such a wonderful plan for my life and that plan was to win. You guys are like, oh no, it's true, that's how it felt. These were the mature thoughts of a (laughs) 22-year-old. And it was beautiful, and it was powerful, and it was radically forming. But, and there's always a but in these conversations, preachers like big butts, and they cannot lie. (laughs) I've never said that before. (laughs) I think I lost you. I think we might be done. Let's just have ministry. (laughs) God was so close to me that I felt like, I guess all of life is going to be like this. But then, a different kind of thing started to happen. God remained very present, but to be honest, things got really difficult. Has anybody ever followed the Holy Spirit into a situation of incredible difficulty? I hear some yeses from the older folks. Some of the teenagers are like, how can that be? You must have been sinning. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. I love, love you and I love where you're at. As life began to happen, I got married. Anybody who's ever been married knows that getting married is a one-stop school of deliverance and discipleship, <laughs> right? Right? Uh, we started to plant a church in Connecticut, and that brought with it all kinds of challenges. When you enter in to Christian leadership, it's like painting a target on yourself and saying, why don't you throw some things at me, enemy? Okay? And I also, I started a really great doctoral program. I was living in Connecticut. My program was in New Jersey, two states, nearly three hours drive away. So I've got all this stuff going on all the things I'd ever dreamed of, frankly, and I realized, man, I I actually don't know how to do this. There was one day in particular, I used to get up at like five o'clock in the morning to drive from my house in New Haven down to Princeton where I was in school, and there's this very dark two-lane highway, and I was sitting on uh, the on-ramp to the highway, And I was for sure that the guy in front of me had already driven off because there were no cars coming. And so I'm looking this way to see if there's any cars coming. And I just put my foot on the gas and bang, right into this guy. Praise God, he was super merciful and like no major damage happened. So he's like, oh, it looks like we're fine. Let's just drive off. Thank you, Lord. But I just started to cry as I'm driving down to school. The guy who's like gotten everything that he ever prayed for I've got a beautiful wife, I've got a lovely community of friends, we have a church that God is building, and uh, I'm getting the education that I've always hoped for, but I'm realizing I don't know how to receive my daily bread from God. God, you've given me everything that I've dreamed of to date in my life. Why do I feel so sideways? Has anyone in this room ever had a moment like that? What I want to say to you is that momentum is not enough. Spiritual momentum is not enough. Spiritual momentum is wonderful. And Lord, breathe on us and bring revival and let the power of your spirit consume everything that we bring to you. But there are moments when what we need is to learn how to receive our daily bread. I didn't yet in that time know how to walk with God when the music had faded all the way down. When the spirit wasn't being radically poured out when people weren't giving me prophetic words that came true within a few months, right? When I wasn't ministering in my strength, but when I was in fact being called to weakness and even failure, like rear-ending a dude because I didn't notice that he hadn't gone yet, just so that I could learn how to become simply dependent on the kindness of our Father in heaven, to learn how to trust him and to receive from him the rhythms of grace for the day in and day out of life in the kingdom. Where does our daily bread come from? Every now and then, it falls out of the sky like manna. Every now and then, it comes in a lightning bolt like renewal. I am 110% for profound, powerful, Holy Spirit encounters. I am an unreconstructed charismatic to the ground, okay? Bring on all the weirdness. We'll figure it out later. Yes and amen. But... For most of us, most of the time, our daily bread comes from the grain that is yielded in our daily lives of sowing and reaping, and sowing and reaping, and sowing and reaping, and sowing and reaping in the kingdom of God. Can you put that picture back up? slide this, this, There, that one, yeah. Sowing and reaping is simple, humble, sometimes hard, sometimes even sorrowful work. The weird thing about the way that God gives us daily bread is that he calls us to sow and to reap, to make the bread for the day, and then to lay down and to do it again. Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6 says, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. The Bible basically promises that if we want our daily bread, if we want to become the kinds of people who can receive daily bread, we should expect to sow with tears so that we may one day reap with joy. And I think that some of us actually need to hear the Lord saying to us today, I'm going to provide for your deepest needs, even though you're in the midst of crisis, even though Life, with God, life with, in, in my kingdom feels like suffering. Even though I, you fasted for the last three days and all you feel is tired. The kingdom of God is a place where we learn to receive our daily bread from our God who calls us to those kinds of rhythms. So, I hope this doesn't feel like a downer. It's not meant to. What I'm trying to do is tell you that at the same time as we have profound encounter with God, Jesus tells us to pray, Lord, form me into the kind of person who can receive daily bread from you. Amen? How many of us want to be people who don't need, like, to be zapped by the Spirit for merely our survival? but who can say, Lord, I'm gonna walk with you faithfully day to day, left foot, right foot. I'm gonna be with you in season and out of season. You can trust me. I wanna be the kind of person who's trustworthy, Lord, so that when the Spirit of God comes, we can say yes, we can say amen, and we can be trusted to steward the move of the Spirit. You see what I mean? How do we become people who can receive from the Lord in season and out, how do we move towards being people like that? There's a lot of wisdom in this room, and there's a lot of energy in this room, and I love all of it. I have to say it's very, very encouraging here. I want to give us three words, three words that all start with the same letter, (laughs) because preachers do things like that, um, that will help us to grapple with what would we be like if we were the kinds of people who could receive our daily bread from our Father in heaven. I'm gonna tell them all to you now and then we're gonna do them in turn. We would be rooted, we would be repentant, and we would be responsive. People who can receive their daily bread from God are rooted in the king and his kingdom, are repentant when we get it wrong, And are responsive to the way that his spirit is moving. All right, we're going to talk about each of those things. And then we're going to take some time to pray. Because I have a feeling that in everything that I've said so far, a whole bunch of you guys are like, you're telling my story. You're naming my thing. But I don't really need more words from you. I need to meet the Lord over this thing. And that's what we're going to do tonight, okay? Rooted what does it mean for us to be rooted in the vineyard church we are a kingdom of god people we're an encounter with god people right but that doesn't come from nowhere do you know what's an encounter with god kingdom of god movement the entire christian church (laughs) right from the very beginning from pentecost acts 2 It was encounter with the Spirit. It was the Spirit being poured out. It was radical transformation. It was power evangelism and all the things that we do because we know that we serve a living God who's calling us into his kingdom, right? However, the church as we have, the church as it sort of developed over two millennia has recognized that we need sources for stabilizing our lives with God, sources to be rooted down, What are some of the sources that will root us, help us to become daily bread people? First and foremost, the scripture. The Lord has given us the scripture through the stewardship of his people, the church. Every single part of scripture is important. We should know it. We should learn it. We should live in it. We should teach it. We should treasure it. We should sit with all the things that the Lord shows us in the scripture so that we can learn how to live our lives so that when the wind blows we don't blow to the left we don't blow to the right but we listen to what the spirit is saying because we're rooted in the scripture how else are we rooted in the historic and in the global church did you guys know does anybody here know the apostles creed handful of people you guys probably grew up roman catholic right uh, or may believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and they would baptize them. Now, why did they do that? They did that because they were saying, people who live in the narrative of Scripture recognize that it affirms God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's something we need to know deep inside of us, right? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord? Yes, I do. And then they would say all these different things about who Jesus was, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin Mary, crucified, there's, ascended. I, mean, I won't do the whole thing for you now, but, but what I will say is that it's not just me and Jesus and my Bible to be rooted in the kinds of posture that will allow us to receive our daily bread from God. It's me and Jesus and the Bible and the awareness that the church has interpreted the Bible for our good to make disciples for millennia. The simplest way to put it would be we don't get to make this stuff up. Christian faith is given to us by a church over history and a church globally that's bearing witness week in and week out to the reality of the King and His kingdom. I was noticing on your slides that you guys have partnerships in India. Have you ever had the experience of landing at an airport in a city around the world that you've never been to and realizing this place has been going way before I was born and it's going to be going way after I'm gone? I have like nothing to do with this place except here it is with all this life and vitality. And in each place like that around the world, there are people bearing witness to Jesus right now. They're our family. For us to be rooted means that we proclaim the same gospel that they do. So we have the scripture, we have the tradition of the church, we have the witness of our brothers and sisters around the world. If you guys, I don't know if any of you have listened to the We Are Vineyard podcast, but I just did an interview recently on that with a woman named Hannah Nation. And Hannah's entire project in the world is translating the uh, sermons and and essays of leaders in Chinese underground churches, making them available uh, in English. So she's done like three books of these and lots more to come. The point is that when we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to the same Jesus that those people serve. And they're saying yes to the same Jesus we serve. So when we think about what does it mean to be rooted, we think, am I rooted in the kind of manner that would encourage and lift up a pastor in a Chinese house church who's under threat of persecution or potentially imprisonment for his faith? We don't get to make this up. We're carrying a message we've been given. We have scripture, we've got the historic and the global church, and then you've got the story of this community. I'm just going to assume that most of the people in this room are part of this church or at least connected to someone who's part of this church. God is doing something beautiful in this place. For us to receive our daily bread, our rootedness, doesn't just include us with the Bible, doesn't even just include our understanding of what Christianity is in kind of a historic or global sense, but it includes our connection to one another, amen? The way that we walk with Jesus is together. Nobody walks with Jesus alone. This is one of the things that I think Americans, because we're like rugged and pioneering in some of the best of our ways, sometimes we're very susceptible to the idea, I can do this by myself. There is no Christianity alone. Christians never think alone. Christians never act alone. Christians never walk alone. God has called you together for one another. All right, I don't want to talk too much longer because I see my time is running out. But for us to be the kinds of people who can receive our daily bread, we have to be rooted. We also have to be people who are repentant. What does it mean to be repentant? It means to say, oh, I think that I've diverged a little bit from my rootedness. Rootedness becomes really, really important when we try to walk out our lives with God. The scripture has this terrible line that is so true. It says, the human heart is desperately wicked. Anybody ever read that one before? Sadly, what that means is that we would very often rather deceive ourselves about what God wants from us than just be be obedient, right? Our hearts stray. That's why we need each other. That's why we need that rootedness. God invites us as kingdom people, people who receive his daily bread to become the kinds of people who are repentant. Now, for some of us, I think repentance can probably feel like a bad word or a scary word or a guilt-inducing word. Think about it this way. To be repentant is to say yes to reality. Okay? To be repentant is to say, Lord, I've had my mind in one direction, I've had my heart in one direction, but I recognize that you're in this other direction. I want to turn my heart and my mind to acknowledge the reality that you're showing me, the reality that you're putting in front of me. Repentance is not about whipping yourself and beating yourself up or humiliating yourself. Do you ever see Jesus doing that to people? Jesus does not humiliate people who come to him repentantly. Jesus embraces them. He receives them. He protects them. Mark 8, the woman caught in adultery let the one who's without sin cast the first stone, he says. Jesus is protecting a person who he later says, look, you, go and sin no more, okay? So for those of you in this room who understand that you not only need to be rooted, but for some of you there's a little bit of repentance that needs to be done, you have a loving, embracing Savior who is cheering for you to do that. And then finally, yeah, I heard an amen, and I like it. Finally... I'm serious, guys, because a lot of the times I think we don't turn to God because we're afraid of being crushed by his judgment. A lot of times we don't look at what it means to be rooted because we're like, oh, you know, it's just going to make all these weird claims on me. And frankly, if I just go into worship, I like feel the buzz. I feel good. We're fine. Everything's fine. That's not going to get you into a spot where daily bread is nourishing you, right? Right? I think that the word of the Lord to the church in our moment is so much about becoming rooted so that we can be repentant and then third, be responsive to the move of his spirit. You know, the spirit's at work. Look around the room. You were like 500 people on a Wednesday night going, I'm chasing God. There's other things you could be doing tonight. You're here because the Spirit has called you here. You're here because in your workplace, you can see that, you know, if God just did this or did that, or gosh, if that person's heart softened, so much could change. You're here because some of you guys are like in the medical profession, and you're like, you know, there's so much anxiety, and the Lord could bring peace. The Lord could bring healing in this place we're hungry for a move of the spirit of God are we not that hunger is given to us by God as we become people who receive his daily bread right we get rooted we become repentant and that allows us to say Lord yes please yes to more The Vineyard Movement, some of you guys will know you're in a vineyard church. (laughs) Uh, It's not just a funny name, it's a whole bunch of churches that are all connected. And our movement began when a group of people said, Jesus, we've tried and tried and tried and tried to do ministry in the way that we thought was best. Would you please show us how you think it should be done? Would you please come by your spirit and let us respond to the things that you're saying? People who can receive the daily bread from Jesus are the kinds of people who will be able to be responsive to his spirit. Am I connecting with you? Are you aware of what it is that I'm saying? I, you know, because I want us to pray. I want us to move, I guess the worship folks can come up. I want us to, to move in the direction of encounter with God.